Previously on the Best in the World Sports Report. Getting ready to talk about the only true winner we have in this town. The only team winning something on a regular basis in this town. It's the Villanova Wildcats. In the studio with me today is my man, Jovan Offord from Total Sports Lodge. Villanova, they're going to be playing next weekend, right? Yes, they will be playing next weekend. You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another edition of the Best in the World Sports Report. My name is John Brown. I don't even know how to get into it. I just have a question, man. Damn it, what happened? When we left you, when, when we last when we last did this show, my voice is cracking. I'm so upset. When we last left you guys, we were ready and poised for another long tournament run. All right, we were... When we last did a show, we were talking about the fact that what who would Villanova be playing in the Sweet 16? And granted, once once the tournament started, they looked a li- they came out a little flat against Mount St. Mary's. I understand that. But once they were able to put them away, you were thinking, all right, man, they're gonna fix it. They're gonna get this together. And then Wisconsin came. And he started off slow again, but you were like, no, not this year. Because we're going to repeat this year. You're like, the Wildcats are going to do it again. And then the game goes on. They pull ahead. There's about five minutes left in the game. And you're thinking, all right, yo, we got this. Right? Right? Like, like we, we got this. Unfortunately, uh, Game ended with a 65 to 62 loss to Wisconsin. Season is over. More disappointment for a town that unfortunately had a lot to deal with lately. But we gotta clean this all up. We gotta figure out what's where to go next with this. So to help me do all that, to help me clean up this mess and make sense of it all. I want to bring in my guest for today, Mr. Chris Lane, the editor of VUHoops.com. Chris, what's going on, my friend? Oh, not too much. About, about over the disappointment, but still reeling a little bit, obviously. And, and thanks for having me on, John. I, hey, I appreciate it, man. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. Been reading a lot. Of, been reading a lot of your stuff as, as of late, as well as following you on Twitter because I like people who crush. Tr- who crush trolls. I like people who do that. I, I am a fan of that. I, I am a fan of people who will call out people on Twitter when they spout nonsense. And some of the nonsense that I've been hearing has been the whole Jay Wright can't coach, uh, Villanova can't play in March, and I've been sitting back just enjoying you crush those people. And I got to hand that to you, man. You you're doing a you, you do a great job with that. Uh, appreciate that. It it, it uh, you only get this opportunity once a year, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it's been several times the, the last few years that Villanova's had an early exit. But yeah, the, the general point is, um, you know, w- once you've made it, you've made it, right? So Jay Wright wins a national championship in 2016, and everybody goes, "All right, he's proven he can win in March. He, he's one of the best coaches in the game. Look at what he just did." Look at the look at the amount of wins they've stacked up. Look at how they've dominated the Big East. 
let's let's stop doubting them. Then you get to this year, they lose a game to obviously a very good and under-seeded and underrated Wisconsin team that um, was a preseason top 10 team. Uh, lose a tight game to them, uh, you know, full credit to Wisconsin. They got the job done down the stretch. Villanova blew a late lead, and that kind of stuff happens in sports. We we see it every year. And then, and then, like you said, you get these people coming out of the woodwork saying, Jay Wright can't win in March. He can't get it done. He's overrated. Well, I got news for you. Then Coach K can't win in March. Rick Pitino can't win in March. Tom Izzo can't win in March. The list really goes on and on, and it's just utter stupidity that we, we look at things in this tight of a vacuum to say, well, based on one game and one tournament, I'm going to write this this whole novel about this guy's career and this team's uh, mentality and this team's reputation because it, it's just it's really it's really stupid when we have all this empirical data to look at. Oh, you know, not just this season, but over the past four years, where where Villanova has been one of the best teams in the country. They've been one of the best offenses, one of the best defenses in the country year in and year out now. And and yeah, they they lost a game, but they're winning 30 games a year. So why does one loss mean they stink they caught a bad matchup they didn't play well that happens it happens in the regular season all the time and we don't react like this i understand i understand hey talking with chris lane of vuhoops.com uh let's backtrack a little and let's talk about that last game um probably big biggest thing that jumped out to me about that game as well as the thursday game against mount st mary's was chris jenkins Kind of struggled in both games. Had seven points on two of thirteen shooting in the first uh, the first game. Six points on two of nine shooting in the second game. Um, Chris Jenkins was a hero. You know he he was a hero. He was a guy who hit you know he hit the big shot against North Carolina to bring that national championship back here to Philly. Um, I guess how I guess how how big was it for? Villanova, you know, for him to struggle that much, for him to to, to come out the shoot struggling like he did. Yeah, it, it certainly didn't help things for him to hit the skids like that at, at that time of the year where one loss sends you home. Um, you know, I got a couple of thoughts on him that, um, and I, you know, I don't know him. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. know personally what he's going through or what's going through his head. But I think um, generally speaking earlier in his career or even last year, he thrived being more of a role player where, uh, you know, he can spot up on the three-point line. He's taking kickout passes. He um, was, t- you know, very good at taking advantage of mismatches because he typically wasn't dealing with the type of attention he was getting from defenses this year. Um, and this year he um, was, you know, one, asked to do a lot more on offense, not just shoot threes, but also do some work inside, uh, do some post-up stuff, a lot more offense running through him. And also, you know, he's a senior. He's got the goal of being a professional basketball player and, you know, he tested the NBA draft uh, feedback last year and, and probably, you know, very likely got some very specific information on what he needed to do uh, to be a professional basketball player. And I think you saw that play out a little bit this year, and it got him a little bit out of his comfort zone. He just didn't look the same all year, um, didn't look like he had the same swagger or confidence about him, uh, ran a little hot and cold, and, and just had a cold stretch late in the year. And, and it happens, um, you know, I wouldn't put the loss on his shoulders, but it's certainly – Certainly did not help to have him, um, you know, be out of sorts offensively heading down the stretch there. And that, and I guess that that brings us back to you know the, the core of this team, uh, you know, Hart, Brunson, both they they played okay, you know they they played okay. Uh, Divincenzo was huge both in both games. Can you speak to I guess 
the contributions that they were able to get from DiVincenzo down the stretch because he really came on as of late and Hart and Brunson just trying to just keeping these guys in the game. Yeah, I, I thought Hart was really good um, down the stretch of the season. Obviously, he in the, the game-winning basket in the Big East semifinals, uh, Big East tournament MVP again. One of the finalists for National Player of the Year will probably take some individual awards home. He, he was a beast all year. Not a lot to say about that. He'll he'll very likely be a first-round NBA draft pick uh, in the back end of the first, and, and he'll likely have a long career as a 3-and-D type of wing stopper in the NBA. He's, he's very, very good. He was huge for Villanova, and that'll be tough to replace going forward. Um, Brunson, had, Brunson took a huge step forward this year. A um, couple reports now out that Jay Wright is going to be sitting down with him and his family, and they're going to be making a decision on his NBA future. Um, I would have thought he probably wasn't going this year, and I don't think he'll get the kind of feedback uh, he's looking for to be a first-round pick. Um, and so he could return, but you never know with these guys. But he took a big step forward offensively. And, you know, when we talked about this team in the preseason, a lot of people thought, you know, they're going to miss Ryan Archidiakono so badly. How are they going to fill that void? And I think a lot of us that followed the team pretty closely were very confident that Jalen Brunson was going to step into that lead guard role, take a big step forward offensively, and really become one of the leaders of this team. That's exactly what he did. I, I think he, you know, far exceeded anybody's expectations this year, became one of the best point guards in the country. He's a guy that can go get his own shot. He can shoot it from the outside. Um, leaves a little bit to be desired on the defensive end, but he's got such a good basketball IQ uh, that he can cover for his own athletic deficiencies with, with just his mind and his anticipation and his knowledge of the floor in the game. Um, he, he, he was massive, and you know that's the one thing I look at for Villanova next year. Is he going to be back? Because if he is, I think you're looking at another top-five team. If he's not, there's a really big hole to fill for the Wildcats in the backcourt. Um, and then, then finally on DiVincenzo, I mean, he, he was the big surprise. I think, you know, he was not that highly regarded of a recruit coming out of high school. He obviously had the injury that forced a red shirt last year. And we were just excited, I think, as fans to look at a guy who was very athletic, uh, very, very advanced offensive game, I think, uh, uses the athleticism well on defense, but we just didn't know how big a role he would have. And I think, the big uh, thing that he showed late in the year that will really encourage the fan base and, and, and his teammates and coaching staff is he looks like he's got the mentality to be the guy going forward. Uh, did not shy away from taking shots, creating shots, making big plays in the NCAA tournament when others were struggling. He really stepped up and said, give me the ball, I'm going to go get us some buckets. And and that's you know that's the big thing they're losing with Josh Hart, obviously, and, and DiVincenzo looks like a guy who can step right into that role and be a guy who averages double figures uh, per game next year scoring. All right. Well, look, last time we, when we were doing a show, we talked, we were previewing this, this tournament. And one of the questions that I had asked was how could it be that Villanova being the number one seed overall, how could they be, uh, how could so many experts want to give their region to Duke? And that was something that kind of bugged me since Selection Sunday because I felt like this team was better. Th- I mean, I thought this team had earned the number one overall seed. I thought they were the number one overall seed for a reason. Now, Wisconsin scared me, and they scared a, you know they scared a lot of people who were picking t- who were picking Villanova. So, given you know the core that they had with DiVincenzo playing the way that he'd been playing, how Brunson and Hart had been playing with. Uh, so, you know, down the line, how they played in the Big East tournament and how they started off 
against uh, Mount St. Mary's. In your eyes, what went wrong against uh, Wisconsin? What did Wisconsin do right to uh, pull that game out? Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, like I think we said it earlier, they're just a really good team. Um, yeah. they, they're a preseason top ten team. Mm-hmm. They they had some rough patches during the regular season that uh, that, that limited their ability to stack up wins and, and, and create a good resume that that was going to be um, you know indicative of their ability in, in March come tournament time. And, and I still think even with all that, they were probably underseeded in age. It was just a terrible draw. But like this is a good team, and, and that's why uh, the Villanova fan base went crazy when the draw came out. To be like, wait a minute, so you're telling me we've got to take a team that was a preseason top 10 team, doesn't have any injury issues, and has like multiple players that have been to multiple Final Fours, and we've got to play them in the second round. Like That's a recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. and obviously rightly so. Now, in the actual game, I think, you know, the, the one thing we saw this year with Villanova um, is, is a lack of depth on the front line, and, and that's where Wisconsin thrives. They've got two guys that are, you know, really all-American caliber players in Ethan Happ and Nigel Hayes, and the game plan was very clearly, we're going we're gonna to run screen and roll action, we're going to run off-ball off screen action and try to free up Happ and Hayes on the post against guys who can't handle them. And, you know, realistically, Daryl Reynolds is the only guy in the Villanova roster that was going to have any sort of success defending those two. And he did. And you saw Wisconsin actually target whoever Daryl Reynolds was not guarding when he was on the floor. That made life really difficult for Villanova. So, like, all credit to that, because I'm not sure what Jay Wright could have really done differently. Um, He was dealt a tough hand earlier this year when Omari Spellman was declared ineligible uh, for reasons that still do not make any sense. Uh, and, And obviously losing Phil Booth on the perimeter uh, for, you know, forced Eric Pascal to play a little bit more down low than he's probably actually built to do. And so there was just a big mismatch there. You saw that this year when Butler um, took it to him a couple times. You, you know, Villanova just didn't have the depth at the end of the year, um, didn't have the bodies really capable to deal with a team like that. Um, and, and full credit to Wisconsin. They, they executed down the stretch. They, they turned a seven-point deficit into a three-point win over the last five minutes, and that's extremely hard to do against a team like Villanova that has been so, so good at closing out games all year long. Talking with uh, Chris Lane, editor of VUHoops.com, about talking Villanova hoops right now on the Best in the World Sports Report. Um, Let's move towards uh, the future. And you have, you know, you you, you have uh, Jenkins walking away, Josh Hart walking away. I know we talked – there's going to be a conversation with with uh, Jalen Brunson. I keep always I always want to call him Rick. I, I, I <laughs> still still to this day I still you know every time I see him I want to call him Rick Brunson. So they're going to talk they're going to talk with Brunson. And but as far as Booth, uh, do you see him? What, what do you what do you see happening with him in the future? Jay Wright said yesterday at his, at his, at his closing remarks with the media that he expects Booth back healthy and, and 100% for next year, which is, um, you know, you, you like seeing that, right? You like seeing the confidence. You like seeing um, the positive prognosis on it. But it's also exactly what Jay Wright said uh, last summer about Phil Booth, that he was getting surgery and he was going to be 100% for the start of the season. That clearly did not happen. I think he played in like four or five games this year before they shut him down. So, you do wonder about his long-term viability. You really hope he's okay. And, and you know, I, I, I'm just kind of at a loss for how you fix this. And chronic knee problems have obviously derailed several athletes' careers. And this is earlier than you want to see it uh, happen to anybody at this age. So you really just hope he can get healthy, whether it's rest, whether it's another surgery. Uh, you want what's best for him, and you want him to be able to do what he likes to do on the basketball court. 
Um, if he's back, I think you've got a really valuable piece that the team was missing this year. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about Eric Pastel being forced to play uh, out of position and, and you know losing a little bit of depth on the perimeter this year, which wore guys like Hart and Jenkins down as the year went on. Uh, I think Booth adds a little bit of that, adds a little bit more ball handling, um, a, a true backup to Jalen Brunson in terms of being able to facilitate an offense. But he, uh, I still think his best position is probably off the ball. Uh, you know, guy who can create his own shot, hit jumpers from the outside, get to the rim. He can really do all of that when healthy. We've seen him do that. So the big weapon to get back if he can be healthy. And what about Mikel Bridges? Do you, uh, I, I know you say, like you said, almost called him Rick again. Jalen Brunson, <laughs> Brunson not- tested the waters. But what about Mikel Bridges? Do you think he tests the waters? And in your opinion, should, does he come back and should he come back? I can't speak to will he, should he, until he gets any sort of feedback. I do think, and I kind of feel this way generally about anyone with the new rules that the NBA has put in place, but if you have the ability to go and, and you're a realistic guy who's on the NBA's radar, which I think for Villanova this year in terms of underclassmen is Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges, I think you go, you declare, you go, you get your feedback, you see if you get a combine invite, and if you don't like what you hear – you come back and, and you work on the things you need to work on and you try to improve yourself to put yourself in a better position going forward. Now, there are always outside circumstances that we don't know about. Um, you know, do they, does, does, does that player or, and or his family need the money? Are they just sick of college? Is it not for them? There's, there's a thousand things we could pontificate on and not really know. But just in terms of basketball potential, usually the way we talk about it is we say, if a guy's getting a first-round guarantee or a first-round grade, but take the money and go. Um, not everybody is going to be buddy healed where they're going to go from a late first round pick to a lottery pick. Um, and I, I think, you know, Bridges is a guy who just because of the athleticism, the way he's probably going to measure at the combine, um, his, his potential obviously is a guy who could, that could happen to, but, um, you know, watching him play on the court, I'm not totally bought in on the fact that he can be like that go-to guy, create his own shot, become the star of the team. I think he's really useful uh, obviously, you know, A-plus defender, NBA teams love that about him now. Probably needs to add a little bit more strength. But offensively, he's a, you know, very good shooter, a guy who's going to crash the glass hard, is great in transition, um, and, you know, a little bit can take a pass and move to the hole in one move, but not really that great off the dribble, and I'm not sure he's ever going to get there. Um, he's never really flashed that ability to me going back to high school in AAU and now at Nova. So, um, you know, if Bridges goes and tests and Jalen Brunson, same thing. If you get a first-round grade, like, go take the money. Um, I don't know, you know, speaking speaking for my own personal belief, like, if you tell me I can go have a million dollars, I'm going to go grab it, like, because you never know if you're going to get hurt or if your stock's going to go down, what, what is going to happen in the future. You can always come back and finish your degree, and, and Jay Wright has obviously encouraged his players to do that over the years when it's important to them uh, to honor that scholarship and, and, you know, come back and take classes when your playing days are over and finish things out. So, uh, you know, if if they get that grade, go for it. I say. I hear you. Now, one X factor in all of this is Omari Spellman. Um, like you said, you can't explain why he was ruled ineligible, and honestly, I can't do much better as far as explaining it. But you know, all signs point to he'll be able to play next season. What what difference do you think he'll make? Because I I know you you were pretty high on him. Yeah, he, he was, you know, it was funny when we I read a couple of the things we wrote before the season earlier, and we, you know, when the Spellman decision came down, it was when you got past the uh, 
befuddlement that it caused and, and trying to understand like what, what why punish a kid for taking too much class in high school uh way to go ncaa uh when you get past all that we kind of said okay this is a problem because it leaves a very clear hole down low uh one from just a guy who you can throw the ball into and he can go get you two points kind of like they had in daniel oshifu in 2016 um and, and two just from like a body's perspective um being able to, to have somebody to rotate with reynolds we didn't think Dylan Painter was ready. I think he proved he wasn't ready, although he, he did an admirable uh, job filling in when called upon and showed some progress. But Stallman's the kind of guy that, you know, is step onto the court ready from day one. And I think going into next year, what you're going to see is he's now had a year in Villanova's strength and conditioning program. He's probably in better shape than he was, at least we hope so, you would assume so. Um, and he's likely refined his skills um, even further than, than where they were. Uh, in the way of fitting into Jay Wright's system. So he was a guy that we always knew could shoot the basketball from the outside, which is something that Villanova really has not had uh, from any of their traditional big men in a long time. And Spellman is a legitimate three-point threat. And he's a guy that, you know, very athletic, very bouncy for that size. And you can toss it to him in the post. And like we said, he's got a, a very advanced offensive post game where he can go and get you two points when you need it, uh, when the when the outside shots aren't falling for Nova. So He's going to provide that type of anchor down low that they just really didn't have offensively this year. Um, I think you, you might see some growing pains on defense. Uh, he's a year, obviously, out of basketball, out of rhythm. Um, it's probably something that you know he's, he's not going to have had to defend the types of guys that he's going to have to defend before because of just who he was in high school and how um, prolific he was. So could be some growing pains on that end, but I think it is is the missing piece that, uh, that Villanova missed offensively this year and should be a big boost next year. You can imagine uh, him playing with Jalen Brunson in that pick-and-pop game or pick-and-roll game uh, should yield some pretty good results. I'm, I'm, I want you to know right now that I'm kind of reaching over, like almost throwing out my shoulder, patting myself on the back, primarily because this is the interview that I needed, y'all. I needed the silver lining. After the loss on Saturday, I needed to feel good about Villanova basketball. And Chris Lane has done that. You know, he's come in. He's let us know his team's going to be all right. Things is going to change, all right? I'm feeling I'm, I'm feeling better. Chris, you, you're doing a great job, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel better. You know, uh, my, my spirits have been lifted because I was down after, after that game. I felt better after Duke lost, but, uh, but still – <laughs> but still, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. And I wanted, I wanted to get back to what, kind of where we started, where basically I just wanted to get back to what you had, had talked about as far as where Villanova is as a program, you know, as a, as a whole. Because, you know, you hear the naysayers, you hear the people talking about Jay Wright can't win in March. And and I thought you raised a really good point when you brought up all the other coaches who've struck who who had who've run into to some troubles and some struggles in the tournament. And I guess let me let me ask you this: I feel like it's you can't call a team a failure when you have a national championship in the middle of that run. Like you can talk about how you can talk about the second round exits in three of the last four years, but that fourth one was a championship. So that to me, that negates all. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, I, I think um, to touch on it again, we have all this data over the last 
four years where Villanova, Villanova, Villanova is winning uh, 30 games a year, right? And they're winning conference 30, you know, 30 games a year, conference titles, beating, you know, basically everyone in their path. And, you know, if they lose a game at the wrong time of the year and it, it labels them a failure. Um, my counter argument to that is, and, and I heard uh, Gary Parrish from CBS make this point really eloquently, so I'll try to do the same thing. But if we have a guy who's a 90% free throw shooter on the season and he has a night where he goes one of five from the line, we don't tell, we don't all of a sudden say that he is a terrible free throw shooter. No, he just had a bad night. Like it happens and it happens to teams, and if it happens at the wrong time of year, it can label you unfairly. And, you know, where I go with Villanova as a program is, like, no, they're not Duke yet. They're, they're not Kentucky. They're, they're not, you know, uh, you know, UCLA from a historic perspective, even though they're just kind of coming back into resurgence. They're not Kansas, right? They're not North Carolina. They haven't had the consistent end-of-year postseason success that you would need to really be labeled as, like, the elite, the elite of college basketball. But what they are is they are at the top end of college basketball. They've won more games than any other program over the last four years. Um, they've won four straight conference titles in a conference that, while it's not the old Big East, has consistently been rated one of the top three or four conferences in the country, and they're they're winning it by multiple games per year and just vanquishing everyone in their path. Uh, Jay Wright's recruiting at a very high level. Again, not Duke and Kentucky, but he's got a roster basically full of top 100 kids in the country, which is really what you want. I think if you're not going to go for the one-and-done model, you want the next best thing. Um, so there's really not a lot of holes in what he's doing. The one thing, obviously, that people are going to point to is, well, where's the March success? And, you know, people like to say, well, you know, three last four years, they've gone out in the first or in the second round, first weekend. The one year they win the national championship is a fluke. Well, no, like, look at the rest of the season they've had. That, that, that shows you that it's not a fluke. It just means they lost the game at the wrong time of year. You want to say they choke. You want to say they didn't show up. Fine. I guess like that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. But let's also look at the rest of Jay Wright's career. People like to conveniently say, oh, well, since 2010, Jay Wright has made it out of the first weekend once. Well, you know, guess what? Before that, the five years before that, he made it out of, out, of the, uh, out of the first weekend. I think four out of five years went to another Final Four, like three Elite Eights. Uh, or two elite eights and three three Swiss uh, three sweet sixteens. So like, the guy has shown he can win in March. It, it's not really a question. This isn't you know if you want to label him like that and 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 say these ridiculous things like let's look at Sean Miller has never been to a Final Four at Arizona. Mark Hewitt Gonzaga has never been to a Final Four. Um, I think all of the remaining coaches in the East region right now: Scott Drew at Baylor, um, Frank Martin at South Carolina, Greg Gard at Wisconsin. Uh, Mike White at Florida, they all have never been to a Final Four. Some of those guys are new coaches, obviously. But like the, the, the pointing to like one or two games in March to try to define a program or define a team, define coaches, define players, it's so, so silly to me when we've got all of this other evidence to, that, that will point to the fact that that is actually not true. Just like it would be stupid to say that you know 2016 was a fluke because they were really, really good for that entire season and they carried it through the postseason. Good for them. Like, well done. That That's closer to the norm for me. Not saying they should be winning a title every year, but it's closer to the norm to win 30 games a year and go deep into March than it is, like, a, a, you know, the, the norm to win 30 games a year and, and flame out in the first weekend that there's something wrong. I think it's just bad timing, bad matchups, didn't show up, whatever you want to call it. And I do think Jay Wright will eventually fix that. He'll find the solution on how to get his team mentally ready for these games. And you'll see him start going to more Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, Final 4s, and, and hopefully more championships. Um, maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe we'll all look stupid for saying it. But I'm willing to bank on the fact that for four years, he's won 
more basketball games than any other coach program in the country. Like that to me says he's doing things the right way. He's on the right path. And you're always going to fine tune things every regular or, or every season based on what you learn. And, you know, you eventually hopefully get to a perfect formula, but it's, it's a constant progress uh, process where you need to keep changing things to adapt to the game, adapt to player style of basketball. A thousand things that go into it. There's, there's no like I've made it and it's going to be perfect every single year going forward. I look at Josh Hart, who was arguably one of the best players in college basketball this year, ending his college career 129 and 17. 129 and 17. That's, I mean, that's, that's not. That's not, it's, not normal. Yeah, that's not normal. You, you, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't knock that. That's good. That you know, that's that's great. So for me, I mean, I, I, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I put Villanova up at the top. I understand why you can't keep them. Why you can't put them in that upper echelon, that elite level. But whatever that next level is, whatever it is, right below that, that's where Villanova is, and. For me, there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nowhere else. To, you know, there's nowhere to go but up for, Vill- for Villanova. Do you agree? Yeah, com- completely. The one thing they're missing is probably just the historical success of some of those programs and just the name brand recognition. They're not a Power Five school. They're not a, a school that you know has had you know completely legendary coaches and and you know five to five to ten national titles. That's just not who they are, and and that's not Jay Wright's problem. He can only fix what it is going forward and. I think you'll see them again next year. We're already starting to look at, at rankings for next year. They're going to be right back in the top 10, if not the top five. Big East favorites again. They're going to have a stacked roster, a deep roster, and, and they'll be right back at it. And there's really no reason to suggest or think that that is going to slow down in the near future with the way that Jay Wright is recruiting, with the way he's running the program, the way he's been at the forefront of this kind of small ball revolution, space and pace kind of offense. Um, He's proven to be a very good coach, a good basketball mind, a good guy. Um, he's got it all working for him. Um, he really just, you know, again, it's just now about more consistent results in March is kind of the last thing that he's missing. All right, Chris, I want to thank thank you so much for coming, calling down. Now, you're down in Atlanta, right? I am. All right, calling all the way down in Atlanta. I hope the weather is a lot better down there than it is up here because it kind of sucks. And it's kind of cold, and it doesn't feel like spring. But Chris, <laughs> Chris Lane from VUHoops.com, thank you for coming on with the Best in the World Sports Report. I appreciate it, brother. All right. appreciate it, John. Good talking to you, pal. You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. Listen to this show in its entirety every Saturday at 8 a.m. on the Philly Go Flow at phillygoflow.com. 